Hello there. Welcome to Capital Stories. This is Eric and I'm here with Tara. On this podcast, we talk to real people about real issues and look for intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. So it is February 1st. One month exactly into those New Year's resolutions. Mm, that's keeping it real yeah. right there. How are you doing with your diet and exercise plan? Oh, thanks for asking, Eric. I'm doing <laughs> was really bad. Right. I mean, thank you. I mean, hey, I'm doing everybody. great because I never set a, a resolution around this. How, well, so how about you? I'm how about you, Eric? Right on, right you on are. course with the way oh, I did. Oh, well, good set, for you. So. But anyway, moving on. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, so today's episode feels pretty timely for the beginning ish of the year when a lot of folks are thinking about their habits around food and, and around wellness. Mm-hmm. It also feels pretty timeless, though, because, you know, this topic is always relevant. Mm -hmm. God made us with bodies that need to eat food in order to survive, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really not that simple. Nope. It's actually really complicated for, like, most humans, I think. So... So this is good for most humans, because today on the podcast, we are talking to Laura Gill-Main, who I've known for a long time. She says the word delightful a lot, and she is the epitome (laughs) of of what that word delightful actually means. She is a registered nurse. She's also a certified diabetes care and education specialist. But some time ago now, she just really felt this call like within her heart. And you can just tell by the passion with which she talks to love others to her highest and best possibility. And and that's just to have this compassionate curiosity and this fullness that changes people's relationship with food and with their body forever. And that may seem like impossible, but as you listen to her, it's hopeful, right? Yeah. That it's that it's just kind of closer than you think. So we we talk about food. We talk about the power that it can it can have on our lives. We we talk about God in all of it, by the way, right? Of course, there's that intersection. We talk about the theology of beauty and the societal and internal pressure that we can put on ourselves to look or to be a certain way. Yeah. And she's just kind of bursting with tips and, and tools for any of us uh, that might kind of struggle in yeah. this area. But even so. if it's not food, you know, don't tune out just yet because right. for many of Laura's clients, food happens to be the coping mechanism for some bigger emotional mm-hmm. problem, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately this episode is about seeking a healthier relationship with the things that yeah. have some level of control over mm-hmm. our lives and mm-hmm. experiencing just a bit more of the fullness of that life God promises us. Mm-hmm. So we are excited for you to listen in. Here is Laura and Tara on Capital Stories. Well, I am so excited to welcome my friend, Laura, who I've known for lots of years onto the podcast today to share what God has created in her such a passion to just really help people find freedom in this area of their lives. So Laura is a health and mindset coach. And so Laura, first of all, I want you to just explain a little bit about what that is and then talk a little bit about how you got there. It is funny to try the health and mindset coach. It's like, I kind of know what she does, but what does she really do? You're going to make me better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're going to (laughs) like. Totally. And I love bringing the words educator and facilitator in there as well. There's a lot of archetypes that go into the role that I hold in supporting people. And the way that I got going with it, my first career, and still I am a nurse. So that definitely informs the heart of who. I am. Becoming a nurse was placed on my heart overnight. I woke up one day and I knew that I was supposed to change what I was doing with my major. And it was just one of the most magical choices. And the reason why I bring it up is because it let me 
hold witness to the experience of people's lives, right? Like getting really intimately present for some of the harder pieces. I spent many years as an ICU nurse where, you know, you're just really being with people as they walk through areas of transition, when they sit in suffering and in pain and holding on a hope and how to let that little magical flicker light of hope sustain us. So I just have been so blessed by that experience and felt so much empathy seeing people show up in the ICU wishing that they had done things differently. That regret piece that, that shame that sometimes would be held, you know, the feeling like it was too late in a lot of ways. Mm. And that just kind of started the journey where I started being like, I want, I thought of Florence Nightingale when I first became a nurse. And there's so much beautiful Florence Nightingale imagery of like the lamp that's lighting other people's ways and really being with people. And I just felt as though I was personally for me and where I felt led, I felt like I was catching people a little late and I wanted to speak encouragement and hope and lightness and love into people's hearts sooner. So that way they could try to make different changes. I remember a message that Troy did where he talked about when you're driving, I'm almost positive it's Troy, but someone from this delightful place <laughs> talked about turning the steering wheel like a degree or two and the way that that would change the entire trajectory of where you ended up. And so I was like, man, I really want to help people learn that it doesn't need to be this big 180 spin around that those little shifts that we make in our steering wheel can get us to a different destination over time. So then I started doing health and mindset coaching with an insurance company, and that didn't feel right. And then I became a diabetes educator, and that felt beautiful. And then I received, truly, from God, the information of the message that I was to give, which was helping to blend neuroscience, mindset, holistic nourishment that goes beyond just the food that we're putting into ourselves. What are we delighting in? What are we reading? What are, what are we interpreting our circumstances to mean for us? How are we using all things for good? And if we aren't, how do we change the way that we relate to the stories of our lives so that they work for our highest good. Hmm. And so that's how I ended up here. <laughs> I think we can just wrap this podcast up right here. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Exclamation point, period, underline. That was beautiful. Aww. That's a beautiful. Now, you personally, there's a part of your personal journey that is all also informed this choice to take this route. The practical on-ramp toward this holistic way of thinking about health, I guess, right? is food and our relationship with food. Was there a, a, a personal experience that you had that also sort of informed or lit up kind of your passion for this and being able to empathize with people who are struggling in this particular area, which has long-term consequences? You know, like you said, besides holding witness for others, myself, I mean, it probably goes back way earlier than my 20s. I certainly have lots of pivotal moments in my childhood of stories around food. But as an adult, I'm remembering, you know, getting done with a whole stretch of night shift and just being like lazing on the couch for the whole next day and eating. 
tortilla chips. Like that's all I would eat all day sometimes. And then at the end of the day, I'd be low energy and just feel so uncomfortable and not nourished, right? I spent an entire day resting after loving and serving others through my bedside nursing practice, but somehow I felt so depleted. And so that was like one thing that made me realize rest isn't just pausing, right? It's like the posture that we take while we're resting and the support that we hold within ourselves. So just laying on the couch could be lovely, but the attitudes that I was taking, the ways that I was just overeating foods that weren't giving me nourishment and then shaming and blaming myself at the end of it. I wasn't kind to myself. The other piece that was really pivotal for me is I went through just something I did not expect to go through in life, which was a divorce. And it was blindsiding as a way that I can summarize it. And I felt very out of control. And I felt as though values and promises that I had sealed on my heart, I was not given the opportunity to live out. And it was very painful. And I found that food was a way that I could control my life when I felt like everything else that mattered the most to me was not in my control. So I did that with overeating, with severely restricting with over-exercising. I was taking these beautiful things that can fill us. And because of the heart that was behind it, it was it was an emptier place. And so in a sense, I think that part of myself, because I say, I know I was just trying to find something I could trust, which was the way that I chose to manipulate food, but it wasn't sustainable. And it wasn't faith-filled. And so that really got me into deciding to get trained through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, which is where I did my mind-body eating certification. And it gave you the ability to empathize. Oh, gosh, yeah. It gave you that ability to understand what so many of your clients Mm -hmm. are feeling and the coping and the rush, right? Oh, gosh, yes. And the... This you know tough thing about food is everybody has to eat and yeah. and and how do you come back into a healthy relationship? You know, on your website, Laura, you say in going through this process, this this journey is you'll you'll learn to really feel and experience your emotions, and and that part of what you want to do as that person's driving and need to to turn just a little bit of a degree is show them that processing emotions rather than avoiding them is key to releasing patterns of insecurity and anxiety and confusion and overwhelm. So feeling your feelings, you say, is much less scary than stuffing them down or buffering them with food and other distractions that numb rather than serve. So emotions somehow that we have to uncover, the reasons behind what we eat are as important. But that sounds scary. It is scary. That sounds scary. So I imagine a lot of what you do in working with people is dealing with how to cope with the why. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, imagine not being afraid of feeling any feeling, like just kind of letting your eyes close for a moment and trusting that you could enter any feeling state and believe that it won't hold you, that it won't dictate what you do with your life, that it's not final. Like that's a superpower when you think of it. And, you know, I think of it as, I grew up with a lot of fear. I was a very scared little girl, and I just had messages of shame early on in my life from well-intended people. Some of my teachers, I took their teachings as, like, I am not okay, you know? So 
I know what that feels like to have an undercurrent of uncomfortable emotions kind of running your day. I was always a very positive and optimistic person. And what happened was through this process, I started witnessing my day. I said, I'm just going to observe what's going on underneath the hood of that positivity and joy. And I found a really mean inner critic. She was so mean. The things we say to ourselves that we would never say to somebody else. Like blows my mind. And so I thought to myself, I love, I have chosen to believe that God can use all things for good for my life. And one of my favorite things in the whole wide world is to say a prayer where I open up that question of, let me see how this will be used for good. This very thing that I'm resisting that I'm afraid of? How can my shame become something holy? How can my fear be used for goodness? And it just changed everything for me. And the thing is, is I bring logic into, I do lots of neuroscience practices with people. And of course, I'm a student of my own work. And so I love saying like, is this a path that you want to follow? If you keep playing the movie out, do I like what happens at the end of that story? You know, For our listeners out there that may be relating to some of the things that you're saying or, or may feel stuck, right? And in that space you talked about being in, what was the, the catalyst or maybe the first step for you to explore some of this language or to be willing to see the problem? Was it talking to another person? Was it clearly your faith is, is a part of what you do? You live life in an integrated whole space. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you or what you see be a bit of a turning point or a catalyst or a transition for some of your, your clients. Mindfulness is really the piece of it, being present and being aware. From awareness is where we can make any shift. And like I said, I lived through three decades of my life and didn't know that that harsh inner critic was speaking so, so loudly. And when you think about trying to focus on what is lovely, what is beautiful, what is life giving for me, that was not it. And I said, gosh, I need to become aware so that I can interrupt this. I work with people to help them see that the thoughts that they think generate a feeling state. And when we can learn that emotions are just energy it's just energy moving through us, right? When we're angry and our face is getting red and our throat's getting tight and we feel that fullness in our chest and that eruption that we feel like needs to come, what I welcome people to do is when you're feeling a feeling, whether it's lovely or not so much, just breathe mm-hmm. and notice See, it. that's where I eat the tortilla chips. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's where I take a bag of those puppies out. Yeah. I did too. So a beautiful way to start. I can very much really, it's an acronym that's a little sassy, but it's nice. It's called, it's helpful. We love sassy here on Capital Stories. <laughs> it's HALT BS. So stop the BS, right? HALT BS. And it stands for why do we turn towards the bag of chips sometimes? Sometimes we're hungry. And so I work with people to help hunger find its rightful place. Like you said, we were created to eat, right? This is part of the plan. There's nothing going wrong here when we get hungry. But that's not the story that we always tell ourselves. We tell ourselves it's too soon or it's not okay or I shouldn't want more or I've had too much or it's not right for me. And so then when we don't honor hunger, 
it's hard to honor fullness because our subconscious that really just wants us to survive on planet Earth is like, why would I stop eating when you give me so much trouble about starting eating again when I need it. So we have to better understand our hunger cues and respond to them compassionately with mindfulness questions of what will nourish me in the moment, 30 minutes from now, two hours from now. So playing that movie out again and not going just to short-term pleasures, but long-term satisfaction. And then learning the cues of when your body's letting you know that had enough and trusting that you're provided for, that you can, you will honor yourself with food when you need it again. So that's the H. I'm guessing A is anger? Anger and anxiety. Oh, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's a double hitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's talk like about how food is effective at soothing. It is effective at numbing. And I think what when we're trying to do behavior changes, we often get so mad at the very thing we're using to cope rather than first seeing the brilliance in it. One of my favorite things to do is to give thanks for the very thing I'm releasing from my life. Thank you for what you were doing for me. Thank you for being a life raft for me. Thank you for being a bridge until I could find another way. So sweet, right? Powerful words. It's nice. <laughs> L, L is loneliness. Oh. That achiness. Yeah. In your words, we honor that position and that feeling. And I, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And belonging so much of this, when we go back to the root, I mean, we have to remember that within, I don't know, for most of us, an hour of our lives, we have had our first meal, right? It's one of the first things we do when we show up as uh, newborns. And so we are very used to being comforted with food and nourished by it. And an infant, when we look at the behavioral goals, like the developmental goals of infancy, it's love and belonging, safety and security. And food, I mean, let's think about it. Food has a place there, right? It's our friend. Yeah, totally. So I think it's like what I love teaching people is that food is part of your nourishment kit. It's not the only star in the kit. When we recognize what I need is to phone a friend or to take a few deep breaths, to journal, to say a prayer. You know, I mean, I love helping people realize what nourishes, like what else would you want to turn to when you're lonely? And the more we can be a home within ourselves and to ourselves, those feelings of loneliness lose some of their power, truly. Because you think if you don't feel connected to others, but you also don't feel connected to yourself, that makes the loneliness even harder. I want to come back to that, this whole feeling of being disconnected from from yourself. But T is tired? Yeah, that's exactly T it. T is tired. Yeah. But what's BS? Bored. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And what's up? Stress. I just have okay. to do an umbrella. I mean, yes. We all know it, right? <laughs> I mean, most of the, if you want to make stress eating, or if you want to say emotional eating is just one thing, we could say stress eating, right? But I, what I love to do is break things down in tinier pieces for people. I think that's from my nursing background, my studies of psychology and neuroscience, is that the more we understand something and how it works, the more that it neutralizes for us. So I try to really help people see you're, there's nothing wrong with you. You were coping in the way that you knew how. Sort right. Of thing. Right. Yeah. Before we get to that disconnected to self, go back to that. There's a lot of, of new language 
I, I feel like around this topic. I was listening to something and learned the term conscious consumption, which I'm sure you use. This just being aware of not just eating by default. Yes. You know, or this psychology of eating. You know, it's not just something that necessarily comes naturally to us in a way that may not have long-term totally. you know, effects. Yes. You spoke on two good things, the not come naturally and conscious consumption. Conscious consumption, you imagine, has mindfulness as part of it. But what I love to celebrate in people too is can you be conscious when you are eating because of all of the emotional things, right? So No, I'm just going to scarf it down. <laughs> and then I hope I'm going to feel better about whatever it is I don't feel good about. I know. I know. But, sorry. No. That's, hey, I like I said, right? I'm a student of this work. Like I totally, I'm like, come on, pizza. Yep. This is going to solve my problems. Yep. You have some work to do, pizza. Right? <laughs> I need you to show up big. <laughs> I know. But it's so sweet because when we can recognize I'm not eating because I'm hungry for physical fuel. I'm eating for emotional nourishment and food capability to tend to that for us, but it does have a shelf life. So when you can bring the five senses into your experience of eating pizza and your tortilla chips when you're not hungry, maybe, and you notice what it tastes like, what it feels like to notice the weight of the food dropping into your belly, the sensation of the salt and the fat and all those highly palatable foods, that those positive feelings, that moment of peace and relaxation. And then as you stay aware with your five senses, you're going to notice that it starts to dissipate. Mm -hmm. And that's your loving, like that's again, another opportunity to say, can I go to something else? This has served out what it can for me. And anything more than this is just, you're going to get so full and you will not be filled with what you are actually looking for. Hmm. And then that's a really uncomfortable spot to be in. Right. Yeah. Well put. So let's talk about God a little bit. Okay. So Fun. one of your favorite topics too. <laughs> yes. And mine too. Yes. Yay. <laughs> it is so interesting to think about God creating Eve, mm -hmm. who is naked mm -hmm. and unashamed, the Bible says, right? Who is in this or has this just sense, you know, of peace. And it gets broken. Yeah. And we now live in a space where we are trying to deal with the brokenness in our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with the earth, and our relationship with ourselves. And one of those spaces, our relationship with ourselves, is figuring out why we're so disconnected from ourselves in this area of trying to right kind of feed ourselves. And so in that kind of like disconnection with ourselves and with food, it's like we're always in a battle. Right? We're just like food becomes a weapon. And we are constantly at war or using it as a reward or a punishment and without even kind of realizing that, that these cycles and these habits started possibly from when we were very young. Talk to me about that a little bit in light of what we believe about how God created Psalm 139, knit these bodies together, right? I mean, we're not even getting to body image yet, but just creating these bodies to function in a healthy way 
oh, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, so much, so much goodness there. So much, you know, powerful messages for us to to receive for our good. And just starting off with what you said, you know, imagining Eve in the garden. I love. Have you ever watched a baby just kind of hang out with itself? There's like love and innocence and curiosity, and they're just like feeling life. You know, they're not concerned about, at least I don't have any memories of what I was concerned about in the mirror as a baby. And babies seem, even toddlers, you catch them at the park or at a music show and they're just dancing and loving life. And then something happens where we lose that disconnection. To your point, we used to not be confused about when we were hungry or when we've had enough, we all see the kids push their food away when they've had enough. And sometimes by very loving intentions from parents, it's like, oh, you need to keep eating, right? Finish so, your plate. You yes, haven't had enough. Yes, absolutely. And so from this place of thoughtfulness, things can start getting a little confusing. And so I view that I showed up here totally at peace with the body that I was in. And so this was given to me by the world, this issue of my body, right? That it's wrong or that it's only right if it's a certain way. And so what I think of is if people gave me a gift I didn't ask for, I do get to return it. And so I help people return those messages of wrongness with my body or thinking that it can only be used for good if it looks a certain way. God's not waiting for me to run my first half marathon or lose a pant size or tone up before I receive the fullness of God's love. That's not the way it goes. So if I'm withholding that my body's okay, that's me Mm -hmm. choosing it for me because of what the world has programmed onto me. Let's be clear about that. But nonetheless, that's some of my favorite work to do with people is to just like start breaking it down like from a really logical place does this make sense is this what i want to hold on to is this the place that i want to live from was this asked of me to do this and does this let me fully express what god has for me and what i want to say about that is when i am hung up on my body not being okay i'm not using my voice and my thoughts are consumed with it it can ruin a good day you know you walk by a mirror and you catch yourself and then the little thoughts can come in and it's like i have other things to do on this earth to love others well to love myself well, to love others well, than to continue to subscribe to that programming. And this is just one of those things, like this is of this world and I am not going to live in accordance to it. And so I love teaching people how to break that down, essentially line by line, like tell me tell me what you believe about yourself and let's see how that's working for you. And then I use what's called like a thought staircase. No one goes from my body's not okay to... I'm great. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's step by step. So that way you don't get the resistance from your nervous system. You're able to live into it more. And the beautiful thing about the brain is it seeks to make itself right. It will look for evidence to prove its thoughts true. Today's a good day. Imagine all the wonderful things that go in your brain. Like, oh yeah, that person was really nice to me at the coffee shop. Or that person held the door. Or I got to catch up with so-and-so. And you just are getting that stuff pulled in. Whereas if you focus on something like the opposite, your brain loves to seek to find evidence to make you be right. It's mm-hmm. trying to help you out, right? So much is happening without us realizing it. <laughs> yes. Um, on that note, mm. you made a mention of 
just how we can slip into that cycle so quickly. And I was reading about how the the company Dove did a study and 91% of women in particular, and this is not just about women, by the way, hopefully there are men also listening. We all have these challenges, but 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies is what they found in the study. Brown University did a study and over 75% of women with normal weight are constantly thinking about their body and dissatisfied. The mental and emotional energy that we spend thinking about our bodies, thinking about how dissatisfied we are with our bodies, thinking about what we can do to solve those problems, most of which we can't solve, is staggering. And I think that's where we get into a bit of a problem in our bodies kind of becoming this, this idol, this, this obsession, and taking our focus away from what, what we, or putting the focus on what we've done to our bodies versus what we can do with our bodies you know, to kind of glorify God. Any, just comment on that. Oh yeah, so much. And yes, I do work with men as well. And yeah, it is. You, is that? Yeah. And yeah, it's and so cool. It's beautiful. I bet. Yes. I love, oh my gosh, I just had a consult with a gentleman yesterday and it was, it was so, the very same themes and hearts. Like, Cause you're right, more women choose to, with me at least, engage in this work. And I will tell you that those same themes are running through the men that I work with too. So thanks for acknowledging that. So many things that you said there, when you talk about women of being at what the BMI, which has its flaws, says is a normal weight and still finding dissatisfaction, this is where, honestly, God does just use everything for good. In my experience, when I was controlling with food, I lost weight. Part of it was from grief. And I ended up at a size that I didn't think I would be at as an adult, and I was exercising a ton, right? Because I told you that that helped me relieve my stress, and it did. So I was, quote, body goals for myself, right? And I was still so mean to myself. I still found things to pick apart. And that was such a blessing to go through that because it debunked the entire foundation. When that scale says that number, yes, I am going to feel so good. Yep, it's a lie. And you think you're going to have, pa- it's like power. Yeah. You have this power all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's a lie. It really is. It is. And that's what I've seen with people that I work with. I do not work with people on shape shifting, if you will, without mindset and spirit set shifting as well, because otherwise that same person who's looking at themselves through a lens of judgment, criticism, harshness, not enough, need to do more, will be with you after you've run the marathon, after you've done the 90-day challenge or whatever it is, and what a heartbreak. Because so much beauty and strength of spirit does happen when we follow through on our commitments, and we don't get to appreciate the fullness of that gift when our mindset isn't supporting us. So it's an it's a really beautiful place to work with, and it really speaks to that Dove study a lot. Yeah, I, I think those of us that you know are disciples of Christ, we we want Christ to be the center of our lives. We want to have a quote healthy balance between how much we exercise or what we do to make ourselves more quote unquote beautiful. Right. Let's just leave that. Let's just place that word right here and let it just be for the sake of we all know what we're saying or what I'm trying to communicate with that word. But 
but it's a it's a line. It's a slippery slope, I think. And just the amount of energy that's spent in in trying to look a certain way than what we can do with these bodies, right? The mm-hmm. Bible tells us in First Corinthians, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Who who is in you? Who you have received from God? You're you're not your own. Honor God with your bodies. And so it's it's more about what we do with our bodies. It really does speak to the heart of things. Like you said, when I view, and you'll be able to tell the exact passage, but when we talk about like removing the clothes that are hindering us from what is the race that's ours to run, that's truly how I view the issues with food and body. Because I it is my deepest joy of my heart to have the people that I work with or the people who receive my message to know, like you have people that you love, you have joy waiting for you, you have excitement and passion and a way that only you can uniquely be. Like you said, we were all knitted together very specifically and we're all a part of a greater tapestry and we need all of humanity showing up for their good works to do, for us to work in unison and really serve for that, you know, elevating the consciousness and the beauty that we have going on here. And so that honestly, like for me, it became a choice where I I literally said to myself, I don't know if I'm willing to do this for me, but I am willing to do it for God and what Mm. God's trying to do through me Mm -hmm. because it was distracting. Yeah. And dissatisfaction with ourselves is so culturally acceptable. Of course, dissatisfaction with ourselves is also, you know, pushed and encouraged because it's going to make us, you know, buy the cream and the pill and the Mm -hmm. whatever it's going to make us better. So we're satisfied, which we're never going to be unless we come to some of these realizations and conclusions, which are beautiful and freeing. But it's just this culturally acceptable feeling. And I also find that if I'm judging myself, Mm. well, everybody else must be judging me. And that comparison stifles connection and leads to what you're saying, which I think is this paralyzing sense of, I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to get in the pool with my kids. I'm not going to present the thing in front of people because I don't want people looking at me because I know that they're judging me. There's this assumption, if we're saying that to ourselves, everybody must be thinking that about us too. And it's just a way that Man, the thing that is not for us, but that is against us, a hundred percent, can attack, mm-hmm. and it's like fresh every single time. It really is. That's exactly the heart of it. Is that the the lens of food and body is like the great stage that transformational spiritual truths can play out on. And you're exactly right that it is where what's not for us can take hold. A couple things that you were speaking to, one of my favorite things to do is when something is bringing me into a place where I know it's not generating the fruits of the Spirit in my life, I say, like, what would the voice of love say here? That's like bringing that compassion in. So with comparison, right, we always feel like uh, we feel bad for comparing, but we believe that it's totally true. And a way that I've loved to reframe comparison is 
isn't it delightful that God is showing me that the evidence of what I want is possible, right? So the person who's achieved the goal that I'm after or did something that I've been wanting to have the courage to try, so often we'll see other people living a reality that we want for ourselves Mm -hmm. and we choose to let it make us feel bad about ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what if instead we could say, wow, isn't it so cool that I see evidence of it being possible right in front of me? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I see it is because it's for me too. Too. And I just think that excites us. It makes us willing to take action to change the direction of things for ourselves. We all, whether we are aware of it or not, which is obviously the theme here, have a theology of beauty. We've created or received or assumed or accepted some kind of theology for beauty. But it's interesting to me in how in the Bible, I think there's 14 words or something like that for the word beauty or for the idea of beautiful. And yet to us, it comes down to this, right? Very like airbrushed image. You know, are there, are there practical things you suggest people do or not do to sort of stop trying to fit into this idea of what is beautiful? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. Whenever there's an area of tension, the first thing I love to do is how can I normalize this to neutralize it? And the reason why we're fixated on beauty is because we believe that we will have a greater sense of belonging if if who we are, whether it's visually or how we show up energetically into those spaces, if it will help us connect more. And so is that wrong, right? Like, oh, how lovely. I want to connect with people is a nice way to frame it at the beginning. And then bringing logic into it is my next favorite thing to do. I think to myself, 10 years from now, the ideas of what's like so pretty all in the magazines being celebrated in culture and media will likely be different than what's being celebrated right now versus when I was born and centuries before beauty and our definition of it changes, which means that there's not a fixed or only one truth of it. And it invites you instead to say what is beautiful to me and not just limit it to the body. Let yourself look around and appreciate the beauty of a hug or the beauty of the changing seasons or the beauty of an act of kindness. That's one of my favorite things to do is to open things up rather than constrict them. Don't eat this. Don't do this. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't. And we feel smaller. We kind of close in on ourselves. So with the idea of beauty, what if beauty wasn't just this tightrope? What if goodness and being okay wasn't just this little blip that we accidentally pass over or totally miss? What happens if it's more expansive than that? And how can I find evidence in life that shows me that that's true? And so it's almost like making a proof list of all the ways beauty exists around me as well as within me. What are ways that I've shown up that are beautiful? What are aspects of my character that's beautiful? If I want to be hard on my whole body, can I be nice about my eyes or my smile or the arms that I hug other people with? You know, just really starting to get detailed. And then I just say, know your triggers at the beginning. 
I work with people to get to a place where they can be triggered all day long and it just, their armor is so delightful, it just bounces off of them. But at the beginning, it's so tender. And so I love whether it's triggers that cause people to eat when they're not hungry, triggers that cause them to go on a tailspin of shame or body image challenges, identify them so that you can arm yourself before them. What do I want to think and feel when that trigger comes up? How can I show up? And one of my favorite things to say, if a friend came to me with the same stressor, how would I, how would I respond to them? Mm -hmm. So that way, when the trigger inevitably happens, maybe you don't totally change directions, but instead of eating, you know, unconsciously, if you will, for a half hour, you eat for 10 minutes and then you move on, right? and celebrating every single progress. Oh, I usually, you know, went to this in 30 seconds and I waited 10 minutes. I was able to sit without uncomfortable emotion for 10 minutes. Isn't that amazing? I'm learning a new skill set. We get so focused on the mountaintop that we forget that every single step that we take is so essential. So we have to celebrate it and let that feel good emotion run through your body. Keeps you going. In your clients, some clients have share your faith Mm -hmm. and some don't. Mm. I'm just curious. What is that? How does that look different, you know, with with your clients that that share your faith? Yeah. Oh, it's just so fun. I always I'm like, no matter what, right, you know, I am who I am. So I'm like, oh, this is so fun that I get to share uh, transformational spiritual truths and the light and love of Christ. And let it be received, you know, however it may. And it's been beautiful no matter what someone's faith journey is. It is an incredible journey of discipleship to sort of bring before God this this grip that something, I mean, whatever it is, right? Food, drugs, sex, you know, whatever has a grip on you and be able to see that I don't know, some freedom from that, some some loosening of of that, to let God into that space. Like, I don't need to let God into this space and and to let him in and I don't know, just let him hold that client in as they as they heal. Because really it's healing from something. Yes. I would say for people who share my faith and for everyone, but there I it's remembrance is what I think ends up happening when I speak about these things and guide people through different exercises to help them be at home in their bodies, right? People feel like their bodies have um, abandoned them or forsaken them. Or you hear people say, I need to get that body back that I had. You know, that one when I was a certain age or I had done something, your body never went anywhere, right? Who's with you the whole time. And so kind of reuniting in that space. And when, when you think about the love that God has for us, you know, and like you said, the way that we were created, for a beautiful purpose, for good, and uniquely, and intentionally, without any little asterisks asking us to be, you know, have X amount more muscle or, you know, a certain less amount of pounds, it you literally see people feel held by the love that was within them and available to them the whole time. It's like they remember, oh, there it was, and then it was there the whole time, and it's just so sweet. 
Yeah. What first steps or tips or tricks, closing encouragement or anything else as you as you picture that person who hasn't yet walked through through the door but is ready? What came to heart when you asked is love, gratitude and mindfulness. So, we often when again when we are striving to where we want to go, we get so focused on the goal instead of falling in love with every step along the way. So are you willing each day to tell yourself one thing that went well in the way that you fueled yourself, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, it's all connected and letting yourself savor. So that's your gratitude piece because it opens you up to see more. It's like where your attention goes, again, very neuroscience-based. You're just going to want to look to see more of that, which is cool. Our brains are very intelligently practiced having a negativity bias because it's for our protection. You know, don't cross the street, right, when a car's coming. It's like we want to have the negativity to quickly behavior modify but the light of love and gratitude is what transforms in, in, in the Christ-like love. Is, and so I always love asking, what would love do here? Or how would the light of love guide me? How would love want to use this for good? And I mean it, every single hard thing I've ever gone through in my life, I have seen God use for good. Like nothing goes that in my experience, nothing goes without the ability to be used for good. And you might not have the answer yet specifically as to how that's happening in your challenge, but maybe you can see past evidence and celebrate this and say, I know that this other hard time was used for my good. And even though I can't see it now, I'm faithful that this will happen for me. But it's even in when I talk about using the questioning of love, when you're tired, what would love do here? Love would likely not watch another episode on Netflix. Love would just go to bed. You know, or, you know, love would phone the friend or go out in sunshine and take a deep breath or journal for a minute. You can do it while eating food too, but asking yourself, is there something else that love would open me up here that would get to the root of what's going on? And then the last piece is mindfulness. This can be, it's incredibly wide, but where I'd love to mention it now just slow down while you're eating if that's okay mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're willing right. that's a good that's a good practical <laughs> tip you could be eating right now yes and i can just feel you yes. chewing more slowly love it mm. absolutely because you know when we can be more mindful when we're eating we're getting out of the part of our nervous system that's the fight or flight the high intensity we're getting to the rest and digest our bodies feel more satisfied when we've found pleasure in our food. So there's a difference between fullness and satisfaction. Satisfaction comes from tapping into the five senses, enjoying the people that you're having the meal with. We all have eaten in the car or eaten while we, watching. While we're scrolling on our phone. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like, oh, I ate that whole thing. <laughs> exactly. Which we don't want to punish ourselves for no, it. But also no. like, yes. that's past full. Totally. I mean, you know, you um, you reach into the chip bag and you're like, how is it all gone? You don't really remember eating mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. Right. We sort of live on this autopilot default, which is yeah. the exact opposite of what you're totally. suggesting. And so. so you don't need to eat every meal like that. But if you could just begin like one meal a day or one meal a week where mm-hmm. it's like no distractions, mm-hmm. five senses, mm-hmm. you might find that foods that you yeah. think you like, you don't actually even I like. Even like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a fantastic mm-hmm delightful, as you would say, conversation. Thank you. Thank you. What is come comes to my mind is just that idea, that scripture, those words of God to us that says, I want you to have abundant life and I want you to have it to the full. That's my, one of my favorites. I want to tell you it's my favorite, but I know I have lots of favorites, but oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) To the full. Yeah. To the, the healthiest full. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. have permission like, for it. You're being invited yeah. and welcomed into it. And you're and I love helping people find peace with mm-hmm. what full is right. for them. That's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's just to sort of reframe. Yeah. Remember. Yep. Individualized, yeah. right? Yeah, individualized. So we don't usually do this at the end of a podcast, Ooh. but I am compelled to just for a minute pray. I love for it. the people that are listening. And then we will we will say amen. Beautiful. So Lord, we pray for whoever it is that's listening right now, for whoever it is that's that's actually very aware of of a struggle with food, whoever it is that maybe is is less aware of it, but but is is thinking, I, I gotta deal with this. Lord, I pray, we pray that you would awaken. Anyone that asks and seeks and knocks, that they want to live life more to the full in this area. That whatever battle and whatever war and whatever weapon food has become for them, Lord, that you would bring peace. That you would bring peace, God. Lord, that you would help them take that thought step. That you would help them take a practical step step. God, that you would show them how to heal from whatever words or actions or culture or world brought them to this place. God, we thank you that you want for us the freedom you originally created us with. You want us to be connected. You want us to show up. You want us to use our energy with these bodies that you gave us, not focused on what we need to do to them, but what we can do with them for you. So God, I thank you for the blessing of this conversation. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you so much for listening today. Truly, we we pray that God would lead you to a place where whatever that thing is that's got a grip on you, whether it's food or whatever, whatever it is, that you could loosen that grip and just tighten the grip on God. As always, we've dropped a couple of links to some resources on this topic in the show notes. So be sure to check those out and we hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks.